This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cam Rossland, today, we have, by the way, I have a little bit of a cold. It's not COVID, so my voice is, uh, and I might start coughing. But uh, we have, he is uh, actor, director, writer. He is Naam Murad. Hi, Cam. Good to be back, everybody. Great to have you. And he is, um, he's Mikey Gong. He's a producer at BFM, but he's much more than that. Uh, Mikey, uh, what are you again? I'm a researcher for the Morning Run show. I did all boring business stuff. Yeah, but he's he's also a banker by by training. And, but don't uh, hold it against me. There's, there's a whole corporate. Oh, don't be ashamed. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. I think the world has learned to accept bankers <laughs> as human beings, like everybody else. Yeah. So our three topics this week are: topic number one, in-flight entertainment; topic number two, exams; and finally, topic number three is the dangerous things we did as kids. So, uh, Mikey, in-flight entertainment. All right. Okay. Uh, now that border restrictions have been lessened and people are starting to travel again, I'd like to talk about something that we take for granted, uh, which is inside entertainment. Okay, uh, Anyone who's actually taken a long transcontinental flight over eight or nine hours will surely appreciate an entertain- an entertainment. Now, for older people like uh, myself and probably... You can and nah, no offense. I, I'm uh, like 20 years younger than yes, you, Mikey, you are. So. Sorry. Again, my apology. <laughs> I'm sure you all remember in the 70s how we had inside entertainment consisted of a cinema screen, a projector, and one or two movies being run in a loop, and that's it. At a particular time, they didn't repeat anything. Uh, and if you sat at the back of the plane, that was it. Good luck in watching anything except the back of your, uh, you know, and, and back basketball back player sits in front of you. <laughs> exactly. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just like to ask you and uh, both of you, what was, what do you, how do you feel about entertainment? Do you, do you like it? Do you love it? And how do, how do you think it can be improved? Well, I, I, I have those same memories as you. And the earphones, if you remember, were the kind of. Um, very uncomfortable things. Very uncomfortable, yeah. like the stethoscopes, yes. kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, very um, hard plastic. Yeah, yeah. and you, yeah. you'd take it at home. You'd steal it because you could talk down. It can hear the, your own voice going to your ears. It's very exciting. <laughs> um, but uh, so now, when I travel, I'm so excited because I I have that memory, and and I can watch you know old episodes of Friends. All of them, if you wanted, it was long enough flight. Mm. Yeah, depending on the airline, uh, MAS. Is not the airline it used to be. So the in-flight entertainment is not quite what it used to be. But uh, I went on SIA a while back, and it was like, wow. I mean, it was like, you know, real cineplex. It was just Mm. everything you could think of. (laughs) IMAX. an IMAX screen that pops up here. But, yeah, no, I'm I'm still excited. No, no, do you you get excited? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's perfect now. I I don't know how to improve it because you get just – also, it depends on the airline. You, you could just watch whatever you want. You, you never had to, you know, bring a book. You don't even have to bring a book if you don't want mm. to or talk to anybody on the plane. Um, one great time was when, when I went to, um, went to Ireland. I was on, on, on MAS and it was great if you're traveling with a toddler because uh, I was with my godson, who was three then. And uh, they had the movie, one of the Ice Age movies. I, I, I don't remember which. But you know those Ice Age films, they have these little vignettes uh, mm. within the main story about that one character's crap. He's, he's like a tree shrew slash squirrel. And, and the, the vignettes are completely 
unrelated to the story, but they're, they're very funny. They're, they're very much, uh, just, you know, little short stories. And my godson loved them so much that he wanted to keep on watching just those bits. You can't do that in the old days. You watched it once and that was it. But now I could rewind and forward so he could watch those sequences again and again. And even after the fifth or sixth time, he was still laughing. So, you know, you could keep a kid entertained. You could keep yourself entertained. I, I, I don't know how they could, except for jokingly, I said IMAX. <laughs> they can't find a way to make it 3D and IMAX and everything. Like, okay, that'd be great, but I don't really need that. You know? mm. Although I have noticed younger people uh, don't even do the in-flight entertainment. They have their computer or their, lap, their, their phone and they've downloaded. I don't know what kind of strange magic they've done, but they put on their own stuff to watch throughout the... Which, which baffles me a bit, Cam, because I actually like the idea that I don't know what I'm getting, but I'm... The choice. Going, yeah. A choice. But I'm, I know I'm going to a library, uh, a, a kind of treasure trove, and I'm going to find good stuff and probably bad st- and bad or boring stuff. But part of the thrill is just going through the whole catalogue and just saying, oh, yeah. watch this. I think what you've just described, Mikey, is what separates us from the coming generation. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. That serendipity, I don't think, is a, a, a factor. Yes, that's. Actually- I understand what you mean, you, you, uh, Mikey, because you find things that 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 you never expected right. to find. That you find. I mean, aside from the the, the popular entity, the really popular stuff like a Marvel movie or, or, or hit sitcoms, you could find a weird documentary that exactly. you wouldn't watch otherwise. But suddenly, it's this documentary about you know um, Turkish delight or something, and then you're, you're watching <laughs> it and you're like, this is fascinating. I wouldn't have picked a Turkish delight. If, if it just wasn't there and I had, you know, nine hours to kill, 12 hours to kill or whatever. No, no, I actually, no, this is an interesting thing. I only watch foreign movies when I'm on a flight. Wow. Yeah, yeah, me too. And the reason is, I don't know whether it's the same for you, Cam, but it's actually to get myself in the mood to go to a new place, a new culture. Uh, so I don't see the point of seeing, watching a Marvel movie on the flight unless i'm really really bored me too but it's just yeah but actually it's just... i i discovered korean movies on flights <laughs> and and i i thought oh watch that and i was just yeah. absolutely enthralled one after the other I was like this is brilliant genius yeah. genius and 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 yeah i discovered them through there same me with uh i i was on um japan airlines once and it was japanese two japanese movies and or mm. one japanese movie but i was so excited to watch a Japanese movie because it was a long time ago and it was during the period where you couldn't really get a lot of, there was a lot of great Japanese stuff on Correct. television. Mm-hmm. You could watch Ocean or whatever, <laughs> Ultraman and stuff, like, and all the cartoons, right? But this was a real Japanese movie and I was quite young then. I thought, oh, wow, you know, I, can know, I couldn't understand what was going on. They had subtitles and everything. But it was just so exciting to, um, yeah, to, to, to watch a, a foreign film, which I'm sure was really difficult a quick to get. Trip down memory lane, though. Uh, I do remember back in the, 70s it would have been 70s that uh, you would have yes the one movie but there was a sound real there were sound reels radio as it were many many tracks you know pop music classical whatever so there clearly was a a tape running and it would just run around and around so we were all listening to Mm. the same moment Mm. and and i would wait for the i remember it was particularly it was bg's song tragedy (laughs) <laughs> it would come around again and that was one particular flight from from uh england to malaysia where i remember i threw up i think it was seven times and Ooh. were you sick or was it a bad flight i i know i just got air sick i was panicking i don't know what it was 
And um, you know, I do, do remember a, a plane had crashed horribly uh-huh. a few weeks before, and I was terrified. And and so I now will always associate tragedy, which is probably not a song you should play on. Play on. It is a good song. Yeah. So you kept listening to tragedy again and again, but you had to wait like thirty minutes for it to come around again, right? Because yeah, you but don't, I, I entertained myself with a bit of vomiting. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I don't want to go back to those days, Mikey. Do you? Neither do I. No, I remember throwing up as well on those slides. No thanks. No, I don't necessarily mean the throwing up, but I mean the oh, en- right. entertainment. <laughs> Both. Throwing up and infectious. Yeah, and do you get? I get. I get really bored on long flights. And you know, they yeah. have that thing where on your screen you could actually put up the map of where your plane is. Oh, and yeah. Remember putting it up and looking at that map and just willing it to go faster. Yeah, <laughs> your plane just sat there, right? Yeah. I mean, if you gave it about half an hour, yeah, then suddenly you'd move from you know the tip of Italy into the Mediterranean Ocean or whatever. But then, and by watching that, I kind of I've begun to realize just how big India is. Yes. And just how small <laughs> Europe is. Because you, when you're flying from London, say, you actually get across the whole European thing in like half an hour. And then India's like 10 hours. It's like, yeah, is it yeah. still India? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we must move on. We must move on. But uh, I think you're taking a flight soon, Mikey. So I do hope you enjoy the in-flight entertainment. Hmm. Um, so move to exams. Um, I happened to take an exam recently, uh, just the other day. And it was the first exam... It doesn't matter what it was, but it was the first exam. It required a bit of homework, a bit of study. First exam I've done since I was 17, 18. And I passed this exam. Hmm. But all my previous exams, when I was 17, 18, I failed. I failed all my exams. And I was really kind of surprised at just how happy I was when I passed this exam. It was just this minutes and minutes long smile i couldn't believe that i'd passed an exam i thought that i was a person predestined to fail exams and i kind of realized in that moment that i i'd actually spent i'm 55 now and i've spent my maths is so bad because i failed maths uh 30 40 years of being a person kind of stunted by the knowledge that i'm a exam failing person and I have actually measured myself against other people who pass exams and stuff. And so when I, when I came back to Malaysia, I sort of would meet up with contemporary Malaysians. And they would be like, oh, yeah, we passed our exams, flying colours. Like every, every Malaysian seems to just sort of pass exams. Part of the culture, really. Yeah. It is, isn't it? If you, if you didn't, but you would be a, you have been considered even a bigger failure if you were a Malaysian who um, didn't do well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you passed, but you didn't do well, kind of thing. I think you would be considered a bigger failure than you would have if you were in the UK. I don't know, but I think that was it because it was oh, so sure, important, yeah. you know, to remember reams and reams of information. Mm. Um, you could be the dullest person on the planet, mm. yeah. but you could remember reams and reams of information, you know, and, and also um, chemical formulas or what have you. Mm. you know, yeah. Mikey. You passed exams, didn't you? I can, I can tell. I'm sure it looks like the, the passing the exam type. I'm sorry, this is where you're wrong. I actually failed the exam, and quite a few of them back in university. But it's interesting, the sense of validation it gives you when you actually pass an exam. And, and this is interesting, how your, your, your status actually changes inter- and internally. So mm. in my first couple of years, uh, I, you know, I, I used to fail my, my exams at university, and I basically saw myself as a failure. Then suddenly in my third year, I and I got straight A's for every exam and exam. 
And that's when I said to myself, wait, I'm not that person. I'm actually good. Yeah. It, yes, yes. I, I, think, I, I thought it was fascinating how it wasn't just about validation and or justification. It was about an, an actual an internalization process that actually transformed, uh, you know, that actually spread to the outward self and, and changed all aspects. So, um, yeah. I, I agree. I agree with you because it, it was the same experience for me. Um, I was like you, Ken. For the first few years of primary school, everything seemed so easy. And I would ace everything. I would be in the top five in the class, top 10 at least. And then when I reached like, we're not talking about even secondary school, at the end of the primary school, I realized that I wasn't that interested anymore. And I kept, you know, getting bad results. And in the entire secondary era, unless I really liked the subject, like art and English, and for some reason, physics, I had no idea why, good teachers and biology. I, I would do really badly. And, and yes, I did feel that, like you did, that what is it about me? Uh, uh, I'm a failure. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, a, a bit of, a, of an idiot, maybe. You know, I, I, I can only learn certain things. And um, when I went to college, when I went to film school, I didn't even have to try because it was subjects which I enjoyed. And I enjoyed my academic time there. And you guys are not going to believe this, but I got into the National Dean's List. Really? Because my grades were so high for that for that for the first year, and and and, I brought, and my parents couldn't believe it. There was a book; they, they actually have a book, and you can get it. And you go like, "Look, there, that's my name, Nor Azhar Murad." Yeah. I was on the national dean's list for the year nineteen eighty five or whatever it was, mm. and and uh, I couldn't believe it myself. Then I then I then it gave me this this. Um, then I realized that yeah, I am the type of person who really needs to really enjoy the subject. I really need to, to, to feel like what I am studying is something which I really want to learn about. And then I'm okay and I'm good. I'm, I'm actually pretty great. At least when I was 20, I don't know now. Now I can't remember what I had for breakfast. I can't even remember if I had breakfast. Okay. All right. All right. Grand, okay. Granddad. Um, two, two things come to mind. <laughs> what? Speak up. Speak up, young man. But, well, two things come to mind. One is what, what academic excellence can you possibly achieve in primary school? You know, like, you're the best papier-mâché eater or something. I don't know. But no, two is, should we, I, I mean, I guess we we have to test grade people in order to decide how they can progress. But should we be putting these kind of stresses on such young people? And then they would, I mean, I tried to laugh it off for years that, oh, yeah, I failed my exams, ha, ha, ha. Uh, and, and, and I had to reconstitute myself. Um but, it, you know, it's damaging. And should we put that pressure and that danger of perhaps crushing people on young people? There should be, there should be other emphases too. I mean, like there were kids yeah. who, who my friends in primary school, who were decent students, decent to bad students, but they were very athletic. And perhaps that athleticism should, should, should be part of the process of, of, of recognizing this is a physically brilliant person. Right? They could have been witty, they could have been musically inclined. And the problem with Malaysia, I think, is uh, that anything other than just your, your standard basic subjects, there, there is no interest in evaluating a child in whatever, what else the child may be excellent in, you know, yeah. uh, because, because there are various ways your mind works. And, and a child could be brilliant in pottery and nothing else. And still that child would, it would mean that that child has potential and, and shouldn't be um, just left behind in the cold because he just cannot get his or her head around mathematics. 
<laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm a, I'm actually worried about typecasting or stereotyping a, ch- a child when they're too young. For example, if I had a, a student like Na in my in in my primary cl- and class, I'd go, oh, he's obviously inclined to the arts, so I'm going to take him out of science, put him in arts, and you know, give him all the drama classes. Hypothetically speaking, if there were drama classes and you know, yeah. uh, and writing classes, like in Philippines, they have music classes. Exactly, but what? Yeah. But what if actually? Deep down inside, that now had a latent talent for mathematics or physics. I could have you know. Yeah, what if you were stunting? You, you, you'd, you'd imagine yeah. something that he's actually not. Yeah, that's why you have. It has to be. He has to be wide. He has to be varied. But for one thing to be considered just a side thing that mm. you know, and uh, the potential is never tapped. You're right. I mean, I mean, it's true. I mean, even in arts classes in secondary school, they will. You will have basic maths. You will have basic science. So. Even an art student in, in secondary school, that is my time. I don't know what it's like now. You could have these guys who were like completely arty farty, but they could do. They, 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 they found that, yeah, actually science is pretty, pretty easy. And, and you had that, and you had like reams of students who were like doing the science sector. And so many of my friends were in science, uh, science classes who are now, you know, lawyers and, and, yeah, uh, yeah uh, we have captains uh, of industry, copywriters, and musicians, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, I hate them too. I don't know who they are, but I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember I, I was a conundrum to my teachers because I was obviously very bright, but I was such a failure at everything I tried, and and they would be like scratching their heads, and I never understood. But I carried the weight of failure. You know, if they said, you know, you're obviously very bright, but that meant nothing to me because, yeah, well, I I've just failed again. And I have to carry that, so I, I don't know. I don't know what the was it. Was it an inability to be interested in studying? I mean, I, that, that's an actual phenomenon. It's like there are people who that's very well phrased. Uh, inability to be interested in studying. I had I had an ability to be interested in the subject, so I would in my head elect to be interested in history because I thought that was what it was. Mm. I would turn up to school. It's like I like history, but I don't like chemistry. So in chemistry, I'm gonna I'm just gonna like daydream. Uh, because you don't entertain me. You don't grab mm. my, my imagination, so why should I care? Mm. I only re- realized later, it's like, well, you had, to, you had to enjoy the art of studying. I think some of it has to do with the process of the exam itself. It's not, it's not, uh, it's, it's not so much uh, whether you like the subject or not. You may like the subject, but the whole process of sitting down, having a paper in front of you and asking questions for three hours oh. intensely does crack certain people and certain people aren't suited for that uh you know so i think we have to re- recognize that that you may have that innate talent the ability everything you're gifted in that but you're not suited to to sitting uh in an exam format and passing a test that way should just add before i wrap up actually that that we're talking about an anglo-american education system i was talking to a swiss guy and he was saying the swiss education is utterly different Utterly oh. different. It's all, it's all vocational. That you're not in, expected to go to university. Even uh, the French system also uh, cuts away huge swathes of the student uh, body, like ninety percent by the time they're like three years old. And really, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I I'm, I'm sure I got boom, it wrong that's there, but br- that's pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a very different system. So it's really the Anglo. We are products of the Anglo-American system. But um, anyway, we move on. And uh, in a moment, we will be back and talking about the dangerous things we did as kids here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9.
And we're back with myself, Cam Rustler, uh, Mikey Gong, and Na'ah Murad. And now, Na'ah, the dangerous games we used to play as kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this, this topic when I was asked to come on. Um, and, and the whole phenomena we have right now of the basika laja, which I'm sure it does, needs no introduction, but those kids on those special bicycles just whizzing about. I do not want to have a debate or discussion about, about whether it's right or wrong or, or what, what other socio-political uh, problems it points to. I just, I just, I just want to, I just wonder why it, it is. And I think it's true that all children of any generation, we have this fascination for danger. We just need to feel the thrill of danger. And, and in my generation, yeah, we did, we did have uh, dangerous games, which, uh, which, which were just sometimes far more exciting than playing a regular game. It was almost as though Cluedo would not be as much fun unless you actually had real knives and lead pipes and you, know, and, <laughs> and you actually get a chance to swing at somebody. But of course, we never did that. But um, things like, um, there were these two games in, in primary school called Chopping. I don't know if you, you had Yeah. Yeah, you, you had that. it. But yeah. you're in the UK, right? I know. Okay. Well, we, we had it. Well, I'm going to describe it. I think I'm pretty sure I had it. Yeah. Well, um, there were two versions. There was the, the mild version, which used a tennis ball. And basically, a whole bunch of kids just got on the field, on the school field. Somebody brought a tennis ball and would chuck it in the air. And whoever caught it would then try to, like, you know, uh, uh, create cerebral hemorrhage in the nearest person. So basically, you're throwing it at the nearest person. Yeah. And then the ball would just keep on going. So the whole idea of it was just trying to hit somebody with a tennis ball. No, we didn't have that. That is barbaric. And I, I, but but that was the safe version, Cam. The dangerous version was. It this is a VI thing, football. is it? Is that a VI no, thing? A no, VI. this is primary school. Oh, primary, yeah. I was in Shahalam PJ. Oh, and the more yeah. barbaric version was a football. Mm. So you, you you couldn't grab the football. You could kick the but you kicked it. To the, and, and a football hitting you in the face can be incredibly painful. So um, we would literally, and it was the most exciting game. And part of the thrill was just. For some, it was like, yeah, I want to hurt others. For some, it's just, I just want to escape. Uh, you know, some people didn't even bother to go for the ball, but the thrill was not being hit and just just, just running away. And that, that, that's just a mild thing. Of course, I got into skateboards. And those were the days when um, skateboards were primitive things. You couldn't buy the top-level skateboard. It was something that occasionally you'd see a skateboard in a toy shop or a sports shop. And, and um, you couldn't buy the safety equipment sure you could find you know hockey pads for your knees or whatever you could afford it if your parents actually cared <laughs> but otherwise once you had a skateboard back then there were no parks there were no um you know places specifically those parts that have those things where you can do tricks you just played your skateboard whatever wherever you could uh sometimes it was skating rings but you know and and or in streets and i suppose um back then roads were emptier maybe and maybe um, boomers would say that, yeah, we were better drivers back then. But yeah, me and my friends, we used to just do the craziest things. Just, just this uh, suburban road, which was like downhill and curvy. And we would just take that road. And every corner we took, we could have collided into a car. There were close calls, but we never did. I guess maybe the drivers were better back then. But there were fewer cars. There were absolutely fewer. Cars. Much fewer yeah, cars, yeah. yeah. And, so, and, uh, but, but, you know, we fell all the time. and We had no padding. And we would like literally I take off bits of skin and have little injuries but that was so much part of the fun and it even became addictive to the point that you wanted to do more and more dangerous things you even created little tricks I'm going to try to jump over a drain now and fall flat in your face you wanted to make it more dangerous and the thing that saved my life was the fact that if something went wrong with your skateboard like the tire 
broke, you couldn't get it fixed. <laughs> there was no such thing as, as a skateboard specialty shop that will fix your tires for you. Basically, your skateboard was done unless your parents wanted to get you another one. So after my skateboard died, that was it. That was, the error was over for me. Yeah. Well, Mikey, do you, do you, do you recognize these kind of stories? I do, uh, and I resonate with them. I used to play chopping in primary school back in Malaysia. I'm so glad it was still around. Uh, um, tennis ball or football? Tennis ball. I, I've, okay. I've never heard of the football version. Oh, it's just more violent, yeah. And for myself, I actually did some pretty dangerous things as a kid. When I look back on it, I used to play in monsoon drains. Monsoon drains. Yeah. Yes, you know? so did I. Yeah. And I used to even go to construction sites and just and mess, you know, mess around there. You know, never once did I think I would be hurt or could even possibly die in other situations. But when I look back on it, um, I'm actually astounded at either the degree of naivety I had or the sense of uh, you know, fearlessness. Or it could be a, a combination of both. But, but also the sheer irresponsibility of your parents <laughs> that, to, <laughs> to yes, allow so you, that, yeah. to encourage you to do that, because that was what they did. They didn't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've read, and no, I know you've read, <clears throat> Lat's Kampong Boy. Yeah, so yeah. Lat is a, a generation older than us. And so he describes his childhood. And it's, it involves, you know, swimming in the river, catching fish with his hands, yeah. playing in tin mining pools. I mean, I, again a degree of danger beyond even what we were up to. But I, I do know of kids who, who didn't survive the 1970s. And certainly growing up in the 70s, I remember in England, like there, there, there were so many kids who had broken limbs mm. going around in plaster casts and stuff. And then I saw several kids, you know, break their limbs. It was really quite disturbing. But nowadays I go around, I don't see broken limbs in kids anymore. I know our parents are... Uh far more careful than yes. the kids. Um, but then the kids still want to go out there and still want to do... Um, again, I'm going to talk about my godson. Uh, you guys know Gassing Hill. It's like yeah. a jungle trek, right? And there was one point where I went with my godson, with his mom and his aunt, and it was just after the rain. So there were a lot of branches and trees covering the tracks. It was a bit um, crazy. And at one point, I think the aunt and the mom got a bit tired and sort of like said, um, why, why don't you and I uh, just, just go? And he said, I want to walk in the river because it was a little stream. And I said, well, will your mom be okay with that? And he said, like, don't tell her. Because she want, he wanted the feeling of just walking in the river, moving aside branches and tripping on rocks and stuff like that because it felt more like an adventure to him. And I remember just doing that all the time as a kid. And I just realized that he never, he's never done that. Yeah. The idea of trekking up in the water, in a small stream, in a small jungle stream. Um, we used to do that all the time. And you could slip on a rock. You could, you could, you know, I don't know, get bitten by a snake. And, and he was so excited. And, and um, I understand the parents of today not wanting to expose their kids to danger because, you know, um, in many ways it is a more dangerous world. But I think they're missing out. They're really missing out. On stuff. Absolutely I mean, missing out. Did you guys ever have fireworks wars? We had, we had fireworks wars. Um, where, where, you know, like, like and, and I used to watch in the kampung, um, the, the really hardcore kids making the Maria Ambulo, which, you know, and, and packing in gunpowder and doing that. Yeah, but how many fingers got lost? Yeah. yeah, I know. But the thing is, the funny thing was, those people, those kids, they were actually, what they wanted to do was make a louder bang. 
there was no way they wanted to be heard. It was just accidents. Whereas me and my friends, we actually shot fireworks at each other. We were aiming to try to scare, but we, nobody ever got hurt. I mean, you had those, those things, those, those Raja Kluang. No, that's just Pure luck. But, but also, really, you could see the A things coming. Aim. I mean, the, the part of the fun was seeing it coming. And the worst that can happen is it explodes pretty close to you and oh, you, you, get, go a, you get a bit of a scare. That's it. <laughs> Nobody ever got burned. But the thing is, um, my, my mother allowed me the freedom that she had when she was growing up. She assumed that, you know, okay, you're, you're seven years old. Go walk to the shops three miles away. Okay, mum. And, and I would do that and I'd get lost and, and all that kind of thing. But I think today's, our, our generation did not want our kids, not that any of us have kids, to grow up in the way that we grew up. We've, we've actually broken a chain, a historic chain stretching back into the beginning of time. And we broke it in our time. Something happened. I think stories about evil people, mm. the stranger danger. Yeah. I don't think it's the actual playing in drains and stuff like that. It's more like meeting dangerous people. And yeah. that's what I keep hearing from my friends who, who have children. It's like, yeah, I'd love my kids to be able to climb hills and all that. But what if they you know, meet unsavory people. They, 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 yeah, it's not so much. It's that is the very real danger of. Yeah. of uh, but one thing we can conclude is that we are therefore better than them, aren't we? Well, because sure, we right. do for sure. Yeah, I, th- I, I think I, I think there's something primal about the need to actually explore the boundaries of danger or risk. Yes. Um, and that if you actually try to corral some uh, a kid uh, too much, something else will have will pop up in its place. Uh, something. Possibly darker. Uh, 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 they won't want to take risks. They won't want. I think it's it's, it's essential in the human evolution. Mm. Um, Agree for, for that curiosity to just express itself for the river yeah. or climb a mountain, even though yeah. it's dangerous. I disagree. Just to see what you, you disagree, Tom? No, I don't what? think there is anything primal. A lot of people said if it wasn't for that, humankind would have literally stayed in, would never have spread that fast. We would have been quite happy in a particular area and. Uh, doing just the same thing, like eating the same foods. There's, there's I think, um, hardwired into us was this roaming. And, and, and in order no, to want to roam... Through necessity only. Else, through ne- no, no, no. no, no people, don't go, people don't go off, uh, travel to stuff because it was fun. No, because they had to. Yeah, they had to, yeah. But then, then, then the ones who did, who had that instinct, the ones who were the survived. ones who survived. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna I don't know gather the kids together and force them to go, go up Gassing Hill and <laughs> however many get back. Well, that's the thing. Gassing Hill <laughs> is like nothing, Cam. I think, only the strong you know, survive. It's, it's like and... <laughs> okay. Well, uh, that brings us then to uh, the final. Well, excuse me, I got a cough now. A final part of the show: recommendations. Where we recommend something that we think might be of interest. And Mikey Gong goes first. Okay, in the theme of actually talking about uh, traveling and the lessening of border restrictions, I'd like to just recommend uh, a genre of jazz music that's often been derided as being fluffy and of no consequence. Uh, Smooth jazz. Oh, well, that's another one. That's one. I'll I'll, I'll save that. Kenny G jazz. (laughs) Yeah, we'll keep that for another time. No, Bossa Nova. Bossa Nova occupies a, a space which is uncomfortable with jazz purists. They like it, but they're ashamed of saying they, they like it because it evokes softer tones and flowing, you know, and beaches and, uh, you know, and drinks. Ballroom with, dancing. Ballroom dancing. Something, something like that. But I actually like Bossa Nova. I actually like bebop as well and my, you know, and, and, and hard jazz. But I do like Bossa Nova. And I think that 
it actually gives you a sense of um, wanting to travel and, and, and seeking that wanderlust. So um, break out your Astrid Gilbertos, your Carlos Antonio Jobims, and uh, enjoy. I don't feel shame and, 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 and don't be ashamed of it. That's the great thing about a bit of culture. We are so, like, to the minute culturally. You know, we're, we're... yeah. All the kids are talking about bossa nova now. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah my niece talking about bossa nova. <laughs> <laughs> we should we should we should call this a bit of nostalgia rather than. Well, whenever you come on, Mikey, for sure. Uh, okay, specific specific names. Then you said Astrid G- uh, Gilberto. Yeah, Carlos Antonio. All those kind of Brazilians. Yeah, Brazilians. Yeah. Oh, okay, bossa nova is 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 specifically Brazilian, isn't it? I don't even know that. Yeah. Do any of you like bossa nova? I, I like I like generally Brazilian music. Ah, I, I, I like the, the the beat, the tone, the mm. you know, even if it's if it's um hip hopped up, you know. But I, I really like it. And 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 from that movie recently, Encanto, I realized that there's this particular sound to Colombian music, which is actually mm, yeah, kind of it's it's fun. It's fun. It's 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 pop, but it's very fun. I did, I did actually watch uh, recently, and I can't remember his name. Don't know where even I found it. A documentary about bossa nova in uh, Brazil, but also how it then spread to the United States. And uh, it was really fascinating. And, and I did discover this whole culture yeah. within Brazilian society. Uh, it was really, it was very interesting. Um, okay, so Bossa Nova. That mm. is uh, Mikey Gong's to the minute recommendation. Try it, you'll like it. And if you don't, <laughs> kids. No, I don't right care. to Billie Eilish. <laughs> yeah. You should Billy. do more Bossa Billy Nova. Who? Billy who? <laughs> Billy who? Um, so, yeah, so my... My Is recommend- that a Billy Holiday? <laughs> oh, that one I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my recommendation is for you to be a tourist in your own city. Um, uh, well, you do tours, don't you? I, you know, occasionally I can do. Can I sign up with you, Ken? Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take you. Hey, let's go one day, Mikey. Yeah. Let's, let's get Ken to, yeah. yeah, there'll be some fun. I, I occasionally conduct um, uh, little walking tours downtown KL the old part of KL. And uh, so I was down there yesterday to do a little presentation. And uh, and I realized I hadn't been there, down there for ages. And the only people who were around there were all tourists. And, and, and not Malaysian. I mean, there were some Malaysians, but their eyes were down. They were doing their thing. Their eyes were not up looking at what was around them. And I, I think that, I think there's something to be said for being a tourist in your own city. Go downtown, look at the place, try to understand the geography of it like why certain areas are what was what was their function once upon a time were they uh you know imperial administration was it business was it well people say chinatown but what's, what does chinatown mean um and 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 try to imagine what its function was and, and if those functions have then pr- uh, migrated to somewhere else in the clang valley or if they just totally died yeah. if you have one place and one hour to take both. Mm. Nah, and what would you recommend? Myself, myself. Where would you recommend? Um, well, when I do my little walking tour, I start um, I start at the bridge between the Tower Medica and uh, what is what used to be called Central Square, Central Market. Ah, okay, bridge, yes. Yeah. And yeah, I think that, that, that to me is the kind of uh, geographical and cultural center point to Kuala Lumpur. Oh, I like that. Um, yeah, where the, yeah. the Beatles Cafe or whatever it's called is, right? Is it? Somewhere. Yeah, there's a place which... Well, it's not called the Beatles Cafe, but they have all these 
Beatles memorabilia and Is pictures it? and stuff. Oh, gosh, like that. Never seen that. I mean, we're way back. I don't know. If but it's still but there. well, from there you can see uh, Masjid Jamek, you can see yes. Sultan Abdul yeah. Samad building, you can see Central Market, um, and you're standing on what's a really very ugly bridge. Um, <laughs> I mean, all the bridges in Malaysia are damn ugly. Uh, and I think that says something about us as Malaysians. Some people invest energy in making beautiful bridges. We do not. We deliberately make ugly bridges. I think because we have a lot of rivers, so it's, it's very functional. It's very like functional. You just need to get to the other side. But even then, it's unnecessary. No, no, no we've got to design a bit more ugliness into this one. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's a topic for another day. I agree with you. Um, after the three years of COVID, right, uh, earlier this year, I actually went to the Petaling Street area in general. Jalan Sultan to watch a jazz show wow. and I, I went with a friend it was my friend's birthday so I, and we just felt even though we've been there before we just felt suddenly that we were back in Wonderland we were like Alice in the, in the sequel and we were like oh my I haven't seen this for so long and we just wandered about and, and it is a great feeling it is a great feeling to rediscover parts of our city the yeah. older parts of our city yeah. I would say it, it's endlessly fascinating and it's also endlessly fascinating to see what people have done today with structures which are basically from, an, from a different era. Yeah. And if you know nothing about the place, the history of the place, if you know nothing, then you start looking at it and you go, I don't know, what do you think that was? You start wondering. Yeah? Start wondering, yeah. what was the yeah. function of that? I'm sorry, I'm going to go with Na as my uh, tour guide. He'll, he'll, he he'll got take jazz. me to a jazz bar and you'll take me to a bridge, Cap, a yeah, bridge. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you, you know, you cool cats, you go off to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to, yeah. to yeah. Birdland or whatever. Hip, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Skidoo, boobop, whatever they say. Um, so, well, my, my, so my recommendation is to be a tourist in your own city. And if you happen to be walking past two people wearing, I don't know, berets and, uh, and uh, smoking jetons and listening to le jazz, then that would be Mikey Gong. and uh, <laughs> Be nice, give us money. <laughs> say hello to them. <laughs> and give money. Of course not. Okay. But, but the, the, the stripy sweater, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, no, what's your recommendation? Uh, my recommendation is more conventional. It's, it's a mini-series, which is from 2019. It took me three years to watch it, but um, it's, it's called uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. It was on the BBC, seven-part mini-series, based on a wonderful book written by a, an author called Susanna Clark, And it is just fun. Uh, so like, it's about... English magic, and it's in an alternative world where magic does exist. Everybody is it, very not Harry Potter. It's for grown up. Mm. Magic does exist. It is acknowledged as something that does exist, but it has waned for 300 years. So it's set in the early 1800s, just to... Yeah, it's, it's set during the Nap Napoleonic Wars. Mm. So um, people just realized that magic was something wild and crazy that happened in the old days. But now there is a resurgence. There are a couple of people who claim that they can do magic. So it becomes part of the war effort, all kinds of things. It's not just about that. But it's a fascinating alternative take on what magic could be like in a more grounded, down-to-earth reality rather than everybody going around fighting dragons and stuff like that. I mean, it does go into that realm. It does go into fairies and, 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 and you know, that, the, the more uh, visual effects kind of thing. But a lot of it is very down-to-earth. It's very interesting. It's it's uh it's it sounds boring because you know it's not chock a block action, but it is it, it just holds your um, image. Uh, the book may be difficult for people who, who 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 because the book's like a thousand pages long and it's very dense. It's fantastic, but 
Um, because she, she tried to write it in, in the style of Dickens. You know, there was a lot of subplots and a lot of stories going around in circles before you get back to it. You realize you're learning about a whole bunch of characters only because you're getting back to them later and how important they are to the main story, if there is even a main story. Right? So she was trying to write in that, in that style. So it may be a dense book, uh, too dense a book for most readers, but uh, it's the, 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 the miniseries sort of like streamlines it because it has to because it has to do it in seven episodes and yeah. it has to, to catch a modern audience. And, it, and it, it's great. I think, I think um, everybody, a, a, all fans of anything fantastical should, should, should give it a, a shot. Mr. Uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell from 2019. It's a BBC miniseries. Very good effects and everything. Very good detail. I've, I've actually read the book. I've read the book. Yeah, you did. I enjoyed the book. It yeah, was hard going. The, 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 the footnotes itself are several hundred pages long. You remember that, Ken? Maybe yeah. these incredibly long footnotes. Yeah. Hey, Mikey, are you familiar with this? Uh... I'm actually familiar with this genre of what I call mashups of different realities. Uh, it's, is it, and that, for example, there's one where uh, humans in the, in the 21st century coexist with ogres and creatures, mythical creatures. And you've got this pairing out where they're, uh, you know, it's, it's a cop and where they're, Two cops and one of them is an ogre and the other. Oh, is that the human. one that became a, a Netflix movie, Bright? Bright I think so. Something, something like something yeah. like that. But Will Smith not, and, and, and yes, somebody Will, else. Yeah. Will Smith. Yeah, it's not exactly a. Uh, I think this is in, in the same vein and in Japanese manga. That's actually the same kind of concept. It's called isekai. If I don't know whether I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, where you've you know you go into an alternate reality and it's a kind of a conglomeration of different kinds of uh, you know. And well, you can go for um, uh, there's a woman called uh, this one would interest you, Cam. It's um, Naomi Novik's uh, Temerary books uh, about the Napoleonic Wars, but fought with you, you know regular weapons, but also dragons. Oh, I've every one, country yeah. had dragons. It's great fun. It's it's uh, it uh, take my word for it, it's, it's very fun. For Mikey, the trigger word is jazz. You know, you have him at jazz. For you, for me, it's like Napoleonic Wars. You got me at Napoleonic no, no, no. Wars. I was going to ask you. Uh, nah, is, <laughs> is there is this... any jazz? <laughs> no, it's not. I'm not so one-dimensional. Now, I'm going to ask you, is this, is this similar to steampunk or variation of steampunk? When you talk about modern It's weapons? not steampunk at all in the sense that there's no technology that doesn't exist at that time. All the technology exists it's, it's for grounded. that era, yeah. except for these dragons. So dragons are tied up with harnesses and and um, soldiers go on dragons almost like they were uh, World War II bombers. So you have soldiers on the wings firing and you have soldiers dropping bombs and the dragons themselves had personality and there's also a mythology behind each dragon about how all the European countries were trying to get into the good side of China because China... Oh, they got the dragons. They were the king of dragons. Right, um, right. Um, everybody wanted the Chinese dragons because the Chinese dragons were the fiercest. But China was at that time fairly quite, quite a hermit nation and didn't really want to mess around with what was going in Europe. So there was that. I mean, it's, it's not all in one book, like several books. So there's a story there. It goes to India and there are dragons everywhere in the world. And, and, and she's taken the dragon mythology from every culture and put a spin to it. And attached it to the oh. to, to to the walls. Yeah. I hope they would have come to Malaysia to get dragons. We could have done them cheaper. Yep. Yeah. And they, they would have had electric windows and aircon and everything. But but it would have broken down after two or three fires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and okay. to, you know, like they, they would be they would have specific like you have to feed them durians or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, and and Peter Jackson was supposed to uh, supposed to have turned it into a into into a movie or a miniseries and and. 
he got distracted by doing this horrible Hobbit movie. So, so I, I hope somebody actually turns it into something, either a miniseries or a movie. Okay, so just to just to recap, that that was Mr. Norrell and Doctor Strange. No, uh, uh, Doctor Strange, the other other uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Right. Okay. Which which I've read and it was very good. It was very good. It was a very good book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, well, that brings us to the end of this week's show. So I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to producer Hanif. Mikey, and I'm going to ask him if we can play out with a bit of Bossa Nova. They may or may not have it in the library. I don't know. But would you like to pick something? Yes. Uh, There's a track called Take Me to Arawanda. It's an old uh, Bossa Nova track, a classic. Uh, Can ask everybody has it. I would love to hear that. Okay. All right. Okay. We could also do a live live episode on one of your tours. Yes. Everybody gets mic'd up and we just walk around. But of course, people, the audience won't be able to see anything. <laughs> but maybe we can describe it. Oh, look, it's an ugly bridge. No, we should We are now crossing an ugly bridge that smells terrible. Oh, we need like a wear beret. Well, yeah, I mean, why don't, why don't we do that? We'll arrange that and we'll do we'll do one, three of us on the street. A bit of culture on the street. Yeah. Yeah. Live, yeah, yeah. live street, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and Mike and I, will, you, you, you will supply the details of, 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 of the history and Mike and I will try to describe what we're seeing. I'll okay. pretend to be interested, yeah. Cam. In our feelings yeah. about yeah. this really... Do, we will be interested. There will be an exam at the end, okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. wrapped up. So, and we all write bicycle adjusts yeah. and, and record that, right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, that, that brings us into this uh, show. Uh, and uh, I'd like to thank Na'am Murad. You're welcome. And thank you for having me on again. It's been a pleasure. And Mikey Gong. It's a pleasure to be back. It's always good fun with... Absolutely. And myself, Cam Rustler, please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. Vai, vai, vai pra Luanda, vem, vem, vem de Luanda, deixa tudo que é triste, vai, vai, vai pra Luanda. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.